Last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 12 and saw the challenge there that when life gets tough and hard and we have problems and difficulties, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So we fix our eyes on Jesus even as he dies and learn in that focus how to make it through our own trials and difficulties. Now, there's a man in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, who went through a lot of things. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, he talks about his own journey. And he says to the Corinthians, and this is in the King James Version. I want you to go ahead and put up the New International Version so you can read through it. Because I'm often thinking in the King James as I read the New International. Okay? In the King James it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. And everyone who strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that after I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Apostle Paul's drawing on an athletic metaphor, which he does more than once in the Scripture, because athletics is primarily about Development of character, all right? Bodily exercise has some profit. As Robert can tell you back here, who is 80 years old, and he's been exercising his whole life, and he's in great shape, all right? I asked him this morning, he said, are you still working out? He says, yes, okay? Bodily exercise profits somewhat, but the greatest profit that we have in high school and college athletics is character building. And with those little children, that's what we're trying to do. And the Apostle Paul knows that. He draws on athletics. I grew up with four boys about my age. There were five of us right in a row. We made a competition out of everything. From running to the car, which was an important contest, because the only person that got fresh air was the guy by the window. There are going to be 12 people in that car, and you wanted to be by the window. And if you won that race, you hung on to the armrest and swung with the door till everybody got in. We made contests out of spitting and all kind of things. Who could spit the farthest? Some of these contests I can't even talk to you about. All right? But we grew up like that. So the apostle says, look, I want you to be a winner in your walk with Christ, in your life with Christ. And here are the things you must do if you're going to win. You must do this if you're going to win. You must have a goal. Run so you may obtain the prize. You must have a goal. Graduates, what is the goal of your life? What are you after? What do you want to achieve? A goal needs to be concise. 
boiled down and to the point. It needs to be clear, not muddled. Clear and concise enough that you could write it down. If I were to ask you to write down the goal of your life right now, you could just write it down on a piece of paper. One sentence. This is what I want to do with my life. The goal needs to be an uplifting and challenging goal. In fact, the folks who wrote the book Teamwork say that an uplifting and challenging goal is the most important thing in helping a team win. The goal needs to be constant. Like Mary Claude's goal, the graduate you just saw, finished her freshman year on May 23rd and started training for track on May 25th, two days later. Her dad sent me a picture of her running. They were out in the country somewhere, and she was running down this road where the cows have been, and all the cows left their load on the road. And she's running through there. She's going where other people will not go. She's doing what other people will not do because she's got a goal in mind. And that year, her sophomore year, they won state. They brought state home. And congratulations, Mary Claude, on qualifying for state again this year. All right, three years in a row. She's been doing it. She's been working it. A constantly changing goal is not going to get you there. All right? So Paul says, I've got this goal in mind, this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching to the things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing. And this man changed the world because his life had a point, a focus. The goal of your life brings together all the disparate strands of your life, all the energy of your life, all the stuff that's scattered out there in your talent, your relationships, your resources and everything. The goal brings them all together and puts them into one tight focus so you can make an impact. What do you want to do with your life? The uncertain do not win. You must have a goal. Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. The one who wants to be the master is temperate, that is, self-controlled in all things. You must have self-control. You must have a goal. And then, with that focus in your life, You must have self-control. In other words, you organize your life around the goal, your consuming passion, the thing you intend to do, all right? Self-control. Athletes who win get up in the morning before everybody else. They're running while we're sleeping. They do the painful thing, the painstaking, the unpleasant thing so that they can get their body ready for the competition. No Christian will win in his race if he or she is not practicing self-control. You say, what does that mean for the Christian life? It means controlling what comes into my life, for one thing. If you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus, you can't fix your eyes on other things. We used to sing the little song, Oh, be careful, little eyes. 
what you see, remember? For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see, and be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. What's the song saying? It's saying, if you belong to Jesus, if you're fixing your eyes on Him, if you want your life to count for Christ, then you must exercise discipline about what you allow in to your ears and your eyes. Michael Jordan, I think, was, was the best there ever was at basketball. I know some of you are going to say otherwise. But I love to watch him play. He had a talent that was incredible. But you know what his high school coach said? He was the hardest working athlete I ever coached. When Drew Brees comes to chapel for the Saints... He comes with a pad. He dashes in there. He sits down. He leans forward and he puts the pad in his hand. He's got his pen ready and he wants you to give him something. <laughs> he is intense. And you know how hard he works. The undisciplined do not win. The folks who just let anything into their life, into their mind, into their heart. The Christian doesn't, that doesn't guard what comes in to his life, he doesn't win. Discipline's about guarding what comes in and guarding the output of your life because there are sins of omission as well as sins of commission and a follower of Jesus must note the Savior's path, behavior, actions, attitude, and words. And seek to follow him. If we say that we know him, we ought to walk as he walked, John said. It takes discipline to win in the Christian life. The disciplines of prayer and scripture reading and worship. The disciplines of who you make your friends and the group you hang out with. Where you spend your time who you're going to be. See, the, the man who disciplines his life, as the apostle did, with that focus on Christ, fixing his eyes there, pressing toward that prize, that's the one that wins. You must have a goal. Run so to win. You must have self-control. Temperate in all things. You must have confidence you all know Jose Altuve you know he's shorter than me yeah he's about three inches shorter than I am Altuve is actually the shortest player in the major leagues today at five foot six do you know that when the scout for the Astros saw him in Venezuela at age 16, he asked Altuve, he said, can you play? He said, Altuve looked him in the eye and said, I'll show you. You think he had some confidence? Yeah, he was the most valuable player in the major leagues last year. And the best hitter in the major leagues 
and the spark plug for the Astros, who finally won the World Series. All right? Jose Altuve. You say, why him? Because you don't win without confidence. You say, well, I don't know if I have confidence or not. Here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to see your confidence as confidence in the Spirit of God. All right? You are confident in God himself. It'll translate into self-confidence. When people see you in a room, when they interact with you at school, they'll say, that person really has confidence. They have kind of a security in who they are. But you know why that'll be the case? Because you know who you are. You are a daughter of the Father in heaven. You are a son of the Most High. He loves you, and you are part of his family. And if you can walk around in this world knowing who you are in Christ, knowing that God loves you, that he has launched you into the world for his purpose, that he's going to receive you unto himself one day in heaven, that that's who you are, then everywhere you put your foot, you can say, this belongs to God Almighty, my Father in heaven, and I don't have to be afraid I don't have to quake before the forces that oppose me because my father owns this territory and every square foot of this planet belongs to him. So I settle down into my identity as a child of God, called of him and him abiding in me. I settle down into the eternal security of my relationship with him and nothing shakes me. I learned that my confidence needed to be in God, not in myself. When I heard an athlete on TV, he was the fastest man in the Soviet Union. They said, how in the world do you keep winning? And he said, I never think about losing. I only picture myself winning every race, every time. The gun goes off. They all take off. This man comes in fifth. I said, okay, what's it about? And God spoke to me and said, you trust in me. You put your confidence in me. To the world, it will look like you are secure and self-confident. But you know who you are. And you're planted in the eternal God. Listen, the apostle Paul's not depending on his talent, on his abilities. In fact, he said, when I came to you, I did not come with excellent speech or wisdom when I declared the testimony of God unto you. I wanted to know nothing among you. Nothing, nothing, nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling. My gospel was not about my human strength. It was about the Spirit of God unleashed in me. This is the man who changed the world. This is the man who says to you, you keep your body under. You bring it into subjection. You make it your slave. You be temperate in all things. He has the confidence that God is active in him, accomplishing what he cannot accomplish on his own confidence. You won't find Drew Brees in the the dressing room before the game saying, oh my, I just don't think we can beat these guys. That ain't happening. It isn't. So you got to pull yourself up straight. Put your chin up and your shoulders back and say, this is my father's world. And he has called me to live in it for him. And I will do it every day, no matter come what may. 
You must have a goal. You must have self-control. You must have confidence. And you must have determination. You got to be determined. Because as soon as you decide, if you would decide today, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. That's going to be the theme of my life. If you would decide that today, there'd be an opposition tomorrow. Or maybe by tonight. Something would oppose a decision in your life to really give it all to Christ and focus your life on him. So you're going to have to have determination. You don't win without it. J.D. Gray pastored this church for 35 years. He's the only one that's been pastor longer than me. His favorite poem was if, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will that says to them, Hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foe nor loving friend can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. I understand why J.D. Gray loved that poem. It has, it has all the ingredients we're talking about here. The goal, the self-control, the confidence and the determination that you will need to make it to the end. I was in high school once, a long time ago, and Evan, I ran to 800 meter. Now, Evan qualified for state in the 800 meter, not me. <laughs> I ran the 800 meter accidentally, one time. The coach said, Crosby, you're going to run the 800 meter. I said, what is that? He said, that's two times around the track. I said, that, that's too far. Find something shorter. I hadn't trained for it. I wasn't ready for it. He put me in the fast heat of the 880. I looked down there. Every one of their legs was as long as I was tall. I thought, this ain't fair. The guns sounded. They all started sprinting. I said, wait, we got half a mile to go. 
I didn't realize they were finding position after the 110 yards. I broke in last, and it just got worse from there. I spent all my energy in the first 110 yards. I came around that lap and went around to the second one, and I thought I was going to die. And I got to the last turn, and everybody had finished the race but me. The referee is standing at the finish line, swinging his whistle. (laughs) The crowds are not helping. So I get discouraged, and in a moment of defeat, I just quit. It's funny, the things you remember from athletics. I don't like this, but I quit. I took my little blue track shoe and I put it on that green infield and when I did, I disqualified myself. And then I thought, Crosby, you're a quitter. I felt terrible about myself. And Coach Tidwell came by and he saw me having a hard time. (laughs) And he said, David, that's the last race you're going to quit, isn't it? I said, yes, sir. If I got to crawl, I'm going to get to the finish line. I'm glad I learned it there on the track field that day, what it felt like to quit. And I didn't ever want to do it. And I know when you called me to this pulpit 22 years ago, my friends told you, He's not a quitter. (laughs) Because from that day to now, I haven't wanted to quit anything. But the problem is I see people quitting. They sit down on the bench before the race is done. I've been in the church a long time, and I see lots of people who gave up on their race. They're the used-to-be Christians. They used to do, they used to give, they used to go, they used to pray, they used to read the Bible. And now the only thing that identifies them with Jesus is the banner on their chest. Everything else, they let it go. Many of us, like Elijah, had a great spiritual experience one day on the mountain. He had fire come down from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice, the water, and the, and the altar itself. And after that great victory over the forces of evil... A wicked woman sent him a note. She said, I'm going to kill you like you killed my prophets. And Elijah took off running. He went into the wilderness. He ran and he hid. And he finally ended up on a mountain in a cave. God called him out to the side of the mountain. He stood out on that mountainside. And a wind came by that was fierce and rolled those stones. And God went in the wind. And an earthquake came and shook that mountain and God wasn't in the earthquake. And a fire came by and roared across that mountain and God wasn't in the fire. And then he heard this still, small voice. You've heard of the still, small voice before. This is where it comes from. You know what the still, small voice said to God's prophet Elijah? What? Are you doing here? 
Elijah. Oh, God, Elijah said, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know all the troubles I've had. You know they've all deserted you. I'm the only one left. Why don't you strike me dead now? And God said to his prophet, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? You're not the only one left. I got thousands who hear my voice and obey my name. And I think the still small voice of God often has the same question for saints who have been around a long time and people who are looking for direction. And the still small voice often asks, what are you doing here? On this planet, in this room, in your life, what are you doing here, Mary? Jane, John, Bill, do you know what your life is about? If so, are you practicing the discipline that is necessary for that focus? Do you still have confidence in the God who has called you? Are you exercising the determination without which you cannot win the race. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, a whisper, your word to us, to every sister, every brother. Let us hear your word. Ask us the question. Make us give an answer before we waste Everything you've given us, our time and resources and relationships before we spend it all on stuff that doesn't matter, God. Get from us the answer. What are we doing here? Lord, I pray for these graduates that they will give a clear and certain answer to the focus of their life I pray for these deacons that they will give a clear and certain answer and practice the discipline that goes with fixing your eyes on Jesus. I pray for these Bible teachers who open the Word of God every week that they have a clear answer to the question, what are you doing here? And that they are living in the confidence that only you provide. And God, I pray that every one of us with our hurts and woes and troubles and sorrows, unanswered questions and difficulties in life. We'll know that faith means determination, perseverance, staying with the call. God grant that we understand what it takes to win and give us the strength to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.